So often when we pray, we are often praying for safety. Right? Um, now, I know football games are, we're, not, we're praying for the safeties to make sure that the other team doesn't score. I, mean, I, I get it. You're picture. I'm not talking about praying for that kind of safety, but you know, we pray for safety for our friends. We pray for safety for our families. We pray for safety. Well, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about staying spiritually safe. Now, when we pray for protection, what are we typically praying for, right? We are often, when we pray for protection, we pray for, well, protection for, from sickness, especially with COVID and all of the things going around. We pray for protection from harm, if we are, especially when we're in a situation where we feel a little bit uh, of anxiety, a little bit anxious. I convinced my parents to let me ride the train in from the airport. It comes very, fairly close to their house. <clears throat> After we saw a news report later in the week, uh, just watching the evening news about how there had been many uh, robberies and burglaries on the, on the little train, they didn't let me ride the train back. <laughs> no, 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 we're going to drive you. I said, okay, okay, fine. Um, we pray for those kind of safeties all the time. We pray for, uh, some of you have prayed for me this week, for traveling mercies. You might travel, I never understood that phrase. But if you've ever like gone on these trips, you realize there are so many possible ways a trip can go wrong, from delays to baggage being lost, from the gas stations, all of a sudden you were going to pull over at the last, and it weighs 10 cents more a gallon at the next one. There's a million different ways, and we pray for traveling mercies. We certainly pray for protection for our loved ones. And even now, when we see the wars and rumors of wars, we pray for protection among the nations. In Psalm 19, we've been looking at this whole month, prayers for the new year. And God teaches us to pray for safety, but it's maybe different than how we would expect. In verse 12, it says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden thoughts. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent, of great transgression. Did you catch it? He's praying for protection here. He's actually praying for safety. Now, it's not safety from harm from the outside. Look at what he says. Pray. He's praying for safety from blind spots. Who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden thoughts. Blind spots. My own errors, these places where my thinking, my philosophy, my way of life is actually keeping me from what God would have for me. It's actually distancing me in my relationship with God. Not that you don't have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but that we are somehow not living the life of God's Holy Spirit. We are not living in, in the daily experience of this worship and walk with God. We are missing out on what God has because things have come into our life that are blocking us. And so often they are those blind spots, things that you didn't even know you had. One of the things about the new cars these days are the blind spot detectors. Have you got those? 
All of a sudden, there's a little light over here that flashes. All of a sudden, I mean, some of them have these heads-up displays. Have you got that? And like, all of a sudden, you're looking out here, and the car's telling me there's a car over here. I mean, it's kind of neat. I mean, like so many things to give us warning. So many things to say, here's, here's a thing that you're missing. Here's a place that might be displeasing in your attitudes, in your actions, in the way you're approaching life that isn't what God had designed, but you're not seeing it. It's our blind spots. We have those in our lives. We have those in our lives. What are your blind spots this morning? Your response is probably, uh, if I knew, they wouldn't be a blind spot, right? <laughs> if, if I knew, I, I, I wouldn't be blind. I would be aware of it. I mean, I, our blind spots are the ones we're unaware of. So how in the world do we acknowledge, understand, and correct through the power of God, things that we're unaware of, things that are blind spots in our lives. Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, <laughs> there's a couple of things that God gives you as a gift to help you with blind spots. Just like these cars these days that have, okay, some of them are getting a little bit out of hand, I think, but <clears throat> the one that Vicki and I have now has this like lane thing, you know, I'm not even on the line. I know I'm not, but it's like telling me, I'm like, and it's, it's giving me all kinds of signals. If I'm too far over on the lane or I've got someone in a blind spot, God has given us a gift. One of those gifts is his word. Last week we talked about how God's righteous word needs to wash over our lives because it shows us. But God gives us another way too. It's his people. It's his people. One of the difficulties that's been over this last year where we have needed and necessarily been more separate from one another, where many, because of health concerns, have needed to be away and, and uh, experiencing God's people through Zoom and other things, and some of the ministries that have been things that we've been involved on, we've had to kind of put them on a, a hiatus. We've had to put them on pause. That we, Maybe it's serving together uh, in the food ministry or serving together in a Sunday school situation or a Bible study class or serving together out in the world. We've had to put some of those things on hold, and we're not experiencing that presence of the people of God is we don't have other people to help us. We don't have other people to help us. God has given us his people um, to be in our lives to hold us accountable, but also to kind of model for us and even confront us when necessary about the things in our lives that are not pleasing to him. We need to be in the body of Christ because God made it that way. The people of God help us. His word helps us. And finally, God's spirit helps us. Look at Psalm 139. Uh, the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we come to the Lord on our day, in our devotion time, when we come to his word, and even when we come to serve and minister with the people of God, this needs to be part of our prayer. Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Know my thoughts. You know me already. And see, oh God, and it's really not asking God to find offensive ways, but it's like, God, help me understand those places where my 
transformation is incomplete. Where I don't quite look like your son. I'm not acting like your son. I'm not thinking like your son. I haven't been fully conformed to the image of Jesus. God gives us his word, his spirit, his people, and even our families. Maybe this is where God has used in some of your lives a place where um, maybe you weren't exactly um, ready for the more isolation that we've been in the last two years, but we've been cooped up in our houses with our families. Has that exposed some things about you? It's certainly shown me about people I live with. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I, 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 we do. We see that, right? We start seeing the people. We start seeing our own faults and it comes out. We become more aggravated. We need to be part of the people of God. We need those times. We need to allow God to search our hearts. But notice this in the psalm. Verse 12. Who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Brothers and sisters, we are talking a lot this month about a prayer of, of, a prayer of reflection, right? We've been talking a lot about, Lord, don't my words, may my thoughts be pleasing to you. We're talking about our whole lives being pleasing to you. Now we're even going to talk a little bit more about sin. We talk about it because Scripture talks about it. But we need to always realize that as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not approach God as those who are completely just enslaved to a life of just self-reformation. We approach and come to the glorious throne of God because of the grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. It covers our lives completely and totally. You will never, ever, ever do so many good things or even one good thing that would make God love you more. And you will never do anything that will make God love you less. The grace of God in total, in sum, at its fullest amount, is already expressed to you, has been given to you in Jesus Christ. You don't earn your salvation. You don't earn your place with him. We are called to be those who are reflective, who are analyzed, who are being transformed. We are called to be those who are getting rid of the the, the sin and the trap that's in our lives. And even these hidden faults, these things that are hidden from our own eyes, these things where we don't see how we are living uh, in a way that's displeasing. But in all of those blind spots, in all of those things who have not yet been transformed or not yet been corrected, we all already have forgiveness and grace and mercy because God does not go back on his word. God has already paid the full extent of your sins in Christ Jesus. You won't earn your salvation. You couldn't, but you won't earn God's love because you already have it. Are you thankful for that in Christ Jesus today? But not only does he pray about blind spots, but he asks specifically in the psalm for protection from slavery. Did you catch it? Slavery to sin. Look at verse 13. Keep your servant from willful sins. Those those ones that some of the translations say, it's sort of like like incredulous. Like, Like we're at this point where it's like, God, I know you're saying no, but I'm doing it anyway. I, I know you said don't do this, 
But I just got to have this. I've got to do this. This has got to be mine. It's that place where we, we totally, it's not, it's not hidden. It's not a blind spot. We know exactly what we're doing, and we know it exactly crosses a line that God gave us a barrier for. We said, I'm sorry, God. I'm doing it my way. I'm going to be God. I'm in charge of my life, and I'm doing my things. And he says, protect me from that, because we all have that will. Those of you with children, <clears throat> we know that those wills are there. We see it in them. But you can see it in you too. You know when the Lord has asked you to do or to commit to, or, and you've just said no. You know where the Lord has placed a boundary in your life, and you've just said, yeah, I don't know, I'm doing it anyway. You know where those places are. And he says, God, keep me from those willful sins. Why? Well, it's, hidden. it's in that next part of the verse. May they not rule over me. Sin is a trap. Sin holds on to us. Sin becomes a slavery. It's throughout the scripture. In Titus, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Um, at, for, for we all, at many times, uh, we all uh, have been foolish, disobedient, deceived, and get, don't miss this, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Sin is addictive in us. And when we say no to the Holy Spirit and yes to our own flesh, it begins to have this ruling power over us. And until we confess it to the Lord, repent of it, and ask for His Holy Spirit to, to, to get that out, it holds us. I don't know if you have problems with like those little field mice guys. In New York we did. And just like here, we would typically over the winter break spend a little bit of time in Texas. And when my wife and I went to Texas one day, I came back early, uh, dug out the snow, uh, got the house warmed up, and my wife was coming a few days later uh, flying in. And I remember getting back that first day, and <clears throat> as I was sitting there on the couch, all of a sudden one of these little mice, who sometimes get in there in the winter, he comes right into the middle of the living room, and I'm sitting there, and the TV's across the way, and I'm watching, the, and he sits between me and the TV, and he just kind of sits up. And this little mouse looks at me and like, what are you doing here? <laughs> this is my crib. You know, this is my house. This is my, my residence. I'm set up here. And, it just, and I thought, boy, the incredulous little creature. <laughs> this was not built for you. This is my home. You willfully are crossing a line coming into my space. And he's looking at me the same way. Wow. Well, I got some of those little glue traps, and we took care of this and not too long. All of a sudden, they got stuck in something, too. You know, it reminds me of sin, that we can get stuck so quickly. We think, oh, look at that little, little appetite, look at that little thing, and boy, the sin can just capture us. We can get stuck just like those glue traps. We need to be set free from Jesus by Jesus. Look how it says in John chapter 8. Jesus replies this in John chapter 8. Very truly I tell everyone who sins is a slave. A slave. Addicted. Controlled by. They are a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son. And he's referring to himself. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. If the Son sets you free, free indeed. Lord, keep me from those willful sins because they enslave me. Don't let them rule over me. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, set me free again. God, let us live in the freedom that you've given us through Christ Jesus, our Savior. 
set us free. Verse 13 again, back to Psalm 19. Look at the results. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Words, phrases like that catch my attention. Great transgression. I thought all sin was sort of equal, right? I mean, sin is sin. Everything that I felt when I, when I disobey the Lord, I disobey the Lord. What is this great transgression? Sometimes we think, is that one of these, like, you know, the big ones? Don't murder, don't steal, at least nothing that's level of grand theft. <laughs> nothing, you know, we, have, we have those rankings, right? There's misdemeanors and felonies, and Lord, let me not commit a felony. Maybe it made something big out there. Or at least don't let me commit those sins that have severe consequences, okay? You know, the ones that might really mess up my life or the life of somebody else. Or sometimes those of you who have been around Christian circles will hear this phrase of the unpardonable sin. Like there's something that can't be forgiven. And it's really questionable. Where does that come from? What are we talking about this great transgression? Well, brothers and sisters, first of all, I need us to realize, and I need myself to realize. I mean, this is, I'm going to preach right here. That when I say no to God and yes to my own self, that's great transgression. That I need to see God as holy and awesome and good. And that, whatever, that disobedience, any form of disobedience, needs to be seen in my life as great transgression. That I cannot just say, oh, I'm going to do things my way. And for those of you that are questioning that, well... Did I commit some unpardonable sin? Well, look at 1 John chapter 5. This is where we sort of get that idea. Um, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, now he doesn't explain that, but he says there's a sin that doesn't lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Then he says this, there is a sin that leads to death. And he says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Well, this is extremely confusing because it's like, well, what are you saying? Or, what kind of thing could, could lead to death that we're not supposed to pray for? And it's hard to really know, and John doesn't really explain it to us. But in that same chapter, John does say this, and I think just before that, and I think this is really important. He says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So you see the contrast between life and death. You see this connection. And he says, whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. What's the one thing God has given us and offered us forgiveness in his son, Christ Jesus? But if we reject Jesus, we are rejecting God's offer of salvation. Now, do we pray about that? Well, of course we pray for those who have not yet come to Jesus. I mean, Paul, in fact, tells us um, in Colossians chapter 4 that we're constantly supposed to be praying for those who have not found Jesus yet. Um, but once death has occurred, we stand before the Lord, and we are based on our own decision whether to accept God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus or not.
So what would keep someone from Jesus? I mean, here's the offer of salvation. Here's the offer that even your hidden faults, even those places, these blind spots are cleansed, that gives us presence into his, into his place, into his throne room. What would keep someone this morning from Jesus? Well, Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, who looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men were going up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, for those of you that may not have a lot of biblical background, there's a contrast there. Um, back, that, back up one slide for me. Uh, between the Pharisee and the tax collector. You see, the Pharisee, these were some of the religious leaders. These were the ones who knew all of God's rules. And these are ones who prided themselves. Now get that? Prided themselves on keeping God's rules faultlessly. Now, sure. They were at synagogue every Sabbath. Sure, they made sure they watched what words came out of their mouth, that they never took the Lord's name in vain. They were ones who made sure they gave a tithe of all of their possessions. They were ones, but they were also tended to be kind of stingy and kind of greedy. They also were very shallow in the areas of mercy and forgiveness of others. They were also, Jesus has very harsh words to say against these religious rulers, but these were the ones who felt like they were religiously right. These were the ones who looked down on everybody else. Now, <clears throat> tax season, you all know to get your taxes in early and file electronically. We've all heard those words that, you know, the IRS is behind. N nobody likes paying their taxes. But in the time of Jesus, realize that the tax collectors were basically those who were empowered by an occupying army, an occupying empire. The tax collectors were the traitors to their own people who were seen as those who were oppressing and, and stealing and robbing from their own people to pay these foreign overlords. The tax collectors were hated, but they were also wealthy. If you're hated and you got money, you might as well live it up and enjoy the tax collectors were those who had been sort of isolated from their families, but collected around them people who could help them just indulge in their own wealth. The tax collectors were seen as the worst of the worst of society, living off of others, leeches on the world, destroying their own people for their own pleasure. Jesus says something interesting. He says, the Pharisee, of course, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, and even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other man, the Pharisee, went home justified or righteous uh, before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. What is Jesus talking about? 
Well, it seems pretty obvious to me that when we look to our own righteousness, when we look to our own status, when we look to our own whatever it is, achievements or relationships, our good works, our accomplishments that we think we have, or our church membership or baptism, and we say, see, I must be righteous before God. God must be so pleased with me. That actually keeps us from the relationship with God. That might keep someone actually from Jesus because they're satisfied. They think they're good enough. And I don't think they've ever even seen or encountered the Lord. But when we're broken, when, we're like, when we realize and see the holiness and goodness of God, we realize that, yeah, I've got hidden faults. I have been sinful. I have been selfish. I have been these things. We realize that I, we can only put our trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus paid for our sins and rose again. He is our only hope. He is our only answer. What would keep someone from Jesus right now? Well, they would keep themselves from Jesus because they're satisfied in themselves. Oh, they think maybe they're, they're, their own righteousness, their own actions, they're good enough, and surely God is satisfied because they're good enough. Brothers and sisters, none of us are good enough because God is holy. He is perfect, and none of us are that holy and that perfect. All of us, the scripture tells us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and can be justified freely through the grace that comes through redemption that's in Christ Jesus. When we approach God, we approach God as beloved children, loved children, forgiven children in Jesus Christ. We come to God as those who are redeemed. We come to God as those who have been welcomed and been blessed. We come to God in joy because we have a freedom that the world does not experience, but they could. We come to God not in our own perfection. We come to God before his perfection in the grace of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we worship, and some of you guys may be saying, look, we talk a lot about this. Yes, we do. Because when we worship, we actually come through this process every time. Listen, Paul, how he says it. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by your works. No one can boast. No one can boast. It's the grace of God. Listen to what it says in Romans. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus paid for your sins and he is our only way before the Father. As we gather for worship every week, my prayer my prayer is that every week we would follow the pattern we see in Scripture week after week, day after day, and the pattern is the same. It begins with the holiness of God, His self-revelation, and our response to Him. Look at Psalm 119. I want to contrast what we've been looking at with Isaiah 6. The very first you see in all these passages is the same thing. The first thing you see is God's gracious self-revelation. God who created you did not have to reveal himself to you, but God has made himself known. In Isaiah chapter 6 it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine this? This nation was in crisis. The king had died. And here, all of a sudden, Isaiah sees a vision of God, and he's high. He's lifted up. It says the doorposts of this temple were shaking. 
He says he saw these visions of these angels, these seraphim, flying back and forth before this holy, holy God. And as the angels flew back and forth, what were they doing? They were crying, holy, holy, holy. Psalm 19 begins exactly the same way. He doesn't see a vision of God. He sees it, like Aaron said, in the snow. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. The whole earth, the skies, they proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth their speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. I told you at the beginning of the series that Psalm 19 is a psalm of worship. It's a psalm of praise. It begins with this self-revelation of God. We see it in nature. We see it in our interactions. We see it in his words, or we see it in a vision of God. But God is amazing and holy. How long has it been since you've seen a vision of God? My prayer is that it's every week here. My prayer is every day in his word. My prayer is every, every moment as on a drive to work that we would see the glory of God. But when you see the glory of God, the very next thing is that you understand his holiness. You understand that God is God. That there is nothing else in all of creation that can even compare with his matchless glory. As I said in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says it that way, right? He hears that the, the angels and the seraphim proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sang in a round this morning. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. Heaven will be like that. Heaven will be in that rhythm. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. In Psalm 19, the psalmist saw the holiness of God in his word, the righteousness of God in his word. He said it this way, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Whenever we have an authentic encounter with God and we see him, we can't help but see his holiness, his righteousness. And when that happens... We see our unworthiness. We see our sin. We see our inadequacy. To come before a holy God, when we are dust, when we are creation, when we have disobeyed him, when we have wronged him, is impossible. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 6. He said, look, woe is me. I I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have actually seen the King, the Lord of glory? How can I even approach him? How can I be in his presence? I, I, oh no, I'm in trouble now. I, I can't be here. I can't see this. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 19 goes to that. When he sees the holiness in God's word, he says, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my, my, my hidden thoughts. Your servant, keep me from these willful sins. I've done wrong. May they not rule over me. Oh God, make me blameless again, innocent of great transgression. He sees his fault. He sees his brokenness. He sees his separation from God. But brothers and sisters, throughout the scriptures, there is this truth that the holiness of God has made a way for us to become holy like him to be forgiven, to be in his presence. In Isaiah 6, that experience of his mercy, his grace, and that call into a new life, here we see it in Isaiah 6. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, See, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The lips became the focus. The lips became the place where Isaiah saw how unworthy he was. And God gives a symbol of the atonement. The atonement he would put in Christ Jesus where Jesus died for us. But it's not just about forgiveness. It's about the new life that then God extends. Because God takes this forgiven Isaiah and says... Well, who will go for us? Who will, who will be this bearer of our message and our mercy and our grace in the world? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is, here am I, send me. And in Psalm 19, this has been our response too, right? Who can discern their thought or their errors or their hidden thoughts? Keep me from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression but not just innocent, on a mission. Verse 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This month we've been asking and challenging you to pray that prayer. This scripture, Lord, let my life be glorifying to you. My words, my thoughts, my actions, my trust. May everything be glorifying to you, O God. Not so that you would be a reformed, better person but that you would be a transformed worshiper, having experienced the presence and holiness of God in your life on a daily basis and reflecting the forgiveness and mercy that comes through Jesus Christ so that the world might know that we as his ambassadors and messengers might see lived out people who are saying, Lord, let my life be all about you. Let the love that you have shown to me overflow through me to others. Let me be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. We're done with January. I think this January, I have seen more where my words, where my thoughts, and my actions have not been pleasing in his sight. This January, more than any, I feel like as we've gone through this together, I have to admit, I am not the holy person that God has called me to be. I'm not worthy to be his servant. I'm not worthy to be a pastor. I'm certainly not worthy to be in any way part of the people of God or a leader in the people of God. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. As a church, we haven't done everything wrong. We haven't been horrible at every moment. But we haven't done everything right either. And we haven't been holy in all things like our holy God is. So we come to the Lord with a confession. And today, we're going to pray a prayer of confession together. It's, it's said in absolutes. And you know how absolutes always fail us, right? <clears throat> you know, you're always late. Well, remember in 1994, I was actually on time and a little bit early. Hey, absolutes always fail us. But we come to God when we confess, just simply to say, Lord, we acknowledge we're not holy, but you are. Thank you for Jesus. So you can pray with, this, with me out loud. You're welcome to kind of just say it in your heart, or you're welcome to just reflect on these words and let the Spirit probe in you. But let's pray this prayer 
as God's church, as God's people together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law, and we have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture is very clear in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's a lot to celebrate. God has been at work a long time in Valley Baptist Church. But we, as followers of him, do need to continue to keep ourselves in this humble spot of, Lord, thank you for making up for our inadequacies through Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us in the days ahead to a freedom and joy that you've given us in Christ Jesus and you enable through your Holy Spirit. How will you respond to God's message today? What has he spoken to you about? Today I'm going to be up front as we sing a a final song together um, about going to his eternal glory when we will be with him in his presence forever, fully transformed. If you don't know Jesus today, would you come? Would you come and accept Jesus as your Savior? If you do know Jesus, but maybe there's some things that have you, maybe some sins that have got you, and you just need to confess those to a brother, I'll be up front to pray with you and to let you walk into his presence, knowing that forgiveness is yours because of the guarantee of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, you've heard our confession. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We ask that you would take us today, making us wholly yours. Take our lives. Let them be sanctified. Let them be made holy. Let them be made yours completely. Lord, thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name.